When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 63 of Exodus, God's Great Rescue, and we are we're in a kind of a difficult um, part of Exodus because um, everything where we've seen death and destruction in the past has been God against the enemy, right? Even even in the uh, in the book of Genesis, when God wipes out all the people on the earth, He does so because there's a clear enemy, and the clear enemy is all the people that are not doing what God told them to do. And so he selects the family of Noah, puts them on the boat, and saves them. Uh, and then he killed all the Egyptians in the sea, the soldiers. And we can understand that because they're pursuing the Israelites. And God is um, protecting the Israelites. He said, I will be your God, you will be my people. And he protects them. And so that one's clear. But but. We saw yesterday that that Moses does something that's just really strange, and we kind of glossed over it, but we're going to spend some time on that this morning because um, it's really worth just pausing and stopping and saying, okay, now what is really going on here? And and so we're going to go back to verse 22 of Exodus 32. Um, is that where we're going? Um, no, we're going to go to verse uh, 27. Sorry, verse 27. And uh, let's just read again. We read this yesterday, but I want, to, I want to read it again. So then Moses said to them, This is what the Lord of the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, killing each, killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. So, um, this is uh, th- this is just a uh, very, very difficult, very difficult um, portion of Scripture. This is where Moses is telling the Levites to put a sword on them, and they're going to go, and they're going to kill their brother and their friend and their neighbor. Remember, there's, what, a million people that came out of Israel, uh, and then that doesn't even include, you know, women and children. So there's a large tribe of Israel that, that Moses is in charge of, uh, and he now tells the Levites to go and kill, and they kill about 3,000 people. Not exactly sure, you know, how, what percentage it is. It's a, it's less than 1%. It's maybe a, a third of a percent or a quarter of a percent. Uh, about the same as what the plague is doing, you know, in the United States today, this uh, this coronavirus. But Moses purposely goes through and kills people. And I just want to pause and stop and think about that for a while. Like, why would Moses do that? In our 21st century years, we we can't imagine that we would ever do this. But apparently Moses feels that God has told him to do this. And so he activates the tribe of Levi to go and actually perform this task. Now, what does this task do? Well, it it uh, kills people for sure, right? Um, it doesn't kill a lot of them. It's certainly not going to impact the, uh, the strength of the tribe going forward. They're still going to they're going to still move forward for sure. But 
what it's going to do is it's going to solidify in the people that remain that they have to follow God, that they have to follow Moses, that Moses is in charge and they better do what Moses says because Moses has the ability to come back through and kill people uh, if they do not follow the law. Now, this seems horrible in our eyes, but the fact is, is that without this, there's anarchy. Without this, um, people do not do as they should. There's, a, there's an interesting book that was written um, about 100 years ago that was called Paradise Island or something like that. And it was written at the right after, um, it was written uh, at a time when people realized that the scientific method was actually pretty cool. We were cool, we were, um, and I'm not exactly sure when it was written, but we were, we were learning about science, we were learning about disease, we were learning about sickness, uh, we were learning a lot about the world. It's this golden age of understanding viruses and sicknesses and diseases and all that sort of thing. And that, you know, that's the last kind of, um, you know, hurdle of mankind, I guess you could say. And so people started writing books that if we would just solve these last remaining problems in our culture, then we could be like living on an island. It's, I think it's like a shipwreck. Uh, that lands on an island, you know, and there, and everybody just is, uh, you know, there's no, um, you know, they gather together and life is good, like they're living in paradise. Uh, but then, you know, an identical book was written not too long after that by Gold, William Golding called Lord of the Flies, where it's the same exact storyline, where a bunch of boys land on an island, but this time they kill each other, right? They, they, um, they, they put a head of some, you know, of a pig on a stick and they, you know, and the flies are on the stick and they start killing each other, you know, and there's anarchy. Uh, and like, why would it go, like, why in 50 years are writers talking about, okay, we've solved mankind's problems, life is going to be good, to 50 years later, it's like, even, no matter what, mankind is, is, um, is sinful. They're not going to... Um, you know, even even without all the stress of the outside world, mankind will still kill each other. And it's because man and that and that's probably closer to the truth, right? Mankind left to their his own devices will kill each other. There has to be somebody in charge. There has to be law, there has to be order, there has to be somebody who enforces the law and the order, and now it's Moses. And while it may seem grotesque that Moses goes around killing 3,000 people, it was something that had to do to put a stop to what the people were doing, to force them to stop, understand, we, knew ha we have new laws, we're going to follow these laws, and we're going to do that so that there, we maintain order in our, in our community. And this was done, and I guarantee you that moving forward now, People say we've got to follow God's laws. We've got to do what Moses says. Just the threat. Moses one time does this, but now that that literally propels the nation of Israel forward because Moses calls the tribe a little bit uh, and may, and brings back order. And it seems grotesque, but that's what Moses does. Um, and we can't go back and judge Moses or judge God and say, if we were there, we would have done something different. 
or that there was something different that could be done. We look at our 21st century eyes and say, well, that's just, you know, we, we're going to hold tribunals and we're going to do all this and we're going to find out who's doing bad and who's not doing bad and, you know, we're going to punish them, but we're not going to kill them and all that sort of thing. And that may have delayed or postponed the pain, but what Moses did was quick and decisive and efficient and brought order, instant order to the tribe. And now people are going to follow Moses unquestionably. They're going to follow the Ten Commandments unquestionably. And these people are going to be the people of God. And the, the cost of that, of course, is 3,000 people. It sounds horrible cost, but that's what happens. Now, there's a parallel to this in our current pandemic because there are a lot of people that say, if a lot of atheists. They say, if God exists, then why would he allow this pandemic to happen? Or if God exists, why would he allow an earthquake or a hurricane or a tsunami or a snake bite? Like why? I just read um, there's a there's a pastor, an Anglican pastor in um, Nashville, Tennessee, who's part of the Nashville scene. He runs an Anglican church and he and his daughter were he was taking his daughter to college and he had a head-on collision, or no, he was rear-ended. He rear-ended somebody. Anyway, he and his daughter died. He was 40 years old, maybe, no, 50 years old. 50 years old and his daughter, and he and his daughter died. He has another daughter and a wife back at the church. And you think, you know, this is a man of God. Why would God allow this to happen? And the answer is we don't know. We just simply don't know. And we look at it with our eyes and we say, this is horrible. This is tragedy. This is going to destroy my faith. Um, But on the flip side, we know that evil exists. We know that God allows evil to exist. And we don't know why, but one of the things that we know that happens when people go through tragedy is that it does seem to force them to turn their attention back on God. Or, uh, you know, or, or they turn their back away from God, and they walk away from him forever. And that, that's the choice that we all have every day, right, is to say, okay, are we going to, the, the pains and struggles and suffering that we have in this life, is it going to draw us closer to God? Is it going to dr- drive us apart from God? And the only answer to that is, is there faith in you? Uh, because when there's faith, when tragedy happens, it will draw you closer to God. If you don't have faith, <coughs> then you will you will go farther apart from God. That is the, the human condition. And so basically, you have to, every person individually has to make the decision, am I going to have faith so that when tragedy happens, I'm drawn closer to God? Or am I going to deny my faith, turn away from God, put that faith away, deny that faith, and when tragedy happens, say, you know, luck of the draw, God doesn't exist, he hates me. Uh, or, you know, the world is just a dangerous, horrible, ugly place. And uh, that's almost the ha- the conclusion you have to come to. You know, the world is a horrible, ugly place and uh, or or God exists and he loves us and he cares about it. We don't have all the answers. I mean, those are kind of the two the two dichotomies, both ends of that spectrum. Um, I, th- I think about Moses and I think about this and how difficult it is to lead Um and how sometimes leaders have to make decisions that are horrible. 
I, I know that, uh, and I don't know if it's anecdotal or if it's true, but Winston Churchill apparently broke the code of the Nazis and they, uh, they learned by breaking the code, this cipher, they learned by breaking the code that the Nazis were planning an air raid on England. And so Churchill is in a, in a uh, position where he has one of two choices. One is he can warn the people of England that an air raid is coming um, and that they should all bunker down. And so when the Nazis come uh, and they do their bombing, very few, if any, people are killed because Churchill um, warned the English people about it. Or he could not warn the British people and then he can use this cipher, the fact that they've got this, uh, information to learn more information to find out where Hitler's weak points are and to devise a strategy strategy to defeat Hitler in the future because they now understand this encryption of the of the Hitler regime of the of the Nazi regime and my understanding is is that um, Winston Churchill decided not to warn the people about the impending air raid so that they could use that information in the future to win the war. Now that, if your family member died, then you would be very, very upset with Hitler. Uh, not with Hitler, well, with Hitler, but you'd be upset with Winston Churchill that he didn't warn the people. Um, and so from from that moment on, Churchill had to live with that decision his whole entire life. And he probably mourned that decision his whole entire life. But leadership is tough. And when you are at the very top, like Winston Churchill, and you have to make those kinds of life and death decisions, it is very, very difficult. And that is why we should, you know, all of us gather around any leader and and pray for them all the time because they are put in a position where they have to make very difficult decisions. Um, now, the other flip side of that is sometimes leaders are put in place and they make decisions more for their own legacy or their own longevity or their own ability to stay in power. Then they make decisions that's good for the people that they serve. And that's when leaders go south. And that's when leaders should be held accountable for that. But how do you know in a world where lies and spin are just so powerful? And the answer is, you, it's very difficult. Now, this one's clear cut, right? I mean, Moses is the one guy in charge. He's, he's the one person who's going to explain the narrative. And so after he kills these people, he's going to say, okay, you need to follow God. Because if you don't follow God, what I did to these people, these 3,000, God will do to more of us. So you need to follow God. And so, um, and so they do. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, my heart goes out to anybody who's in a leadership position because it is really tough oftentimes. Like today in the United States, if you're a leader, a president, for example, you know that the opposing party is going to come at you with everything they possibly can to destroy your reputation, your intelligence, the, um, you know, uh, the people that are in the cabinet, the people, you know, serving overseas, the generals. I mean, everybody, they're going to look for any weakness they possibly can find and they're going to exploit it to make whoever's currently in charge look like an idiot or a fool. Um, 
And I do not think that's healthy for a nation. And that's part of you know what we've come to in this two-party system. Uh, and I think eventually, may may or not happen in my lifetime, uh, people will get sick of that. There'll be another person that will rise up and he'll say, I'm sick of this too, so follow me. And he's going to draw people out of both parties and he's going to create a new party. And then, believe it or not, probably what would happen would be the two existing parties would join together to fight him, right? I mean, it's like my the enemy of my... The enemy of my enemy is my friend or something like that, right? Isn't that something like that? So anyway, um, I'm, I'm just waxing a little bit about, you know, I'm just putting a little flesh on what Moses has done because I'm just, just pointing out the leadership is, is tough. But we'll, we'll continue reading. So let's go back to uh, verse 30. So the next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. So Moses is now putting his own life on the line. He's telling God, listen, either wipe us all out and we're done, or uh, take my life uh you know, in, in, instead of the whole entire people. Uh, and I think that a good leader, um, you know, will, uh, a leader comes to this point many, many times in their life, I think. It's like, God, I don't know why you put me in charge of these people and I had to do something that was horrible and, uh, you know, I have to live with myself. Uh, I don't really want to live with myself for this. So just take me now and wipe us all out, you know, put us all out of the misery. Um, you know, uh, or if you're not going to put them out of their misery, then just take my life and then let them figure it out. Moses hears from God, verse 33. But the Lord replied to Moses, whoever is sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I've spoken of. And my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. So it's not just that Moses went and took 3,000 people. Now he puts a plague in and a lot of people are suffering, maybe dying, uh, because of this plague. But now it's done, right? Now the thing is over. They'll get through the plague. And then these are now the purified, cleansed people of God. God cranked up the fire of the, you know, of the gold and the silver and the dross came up to the top and God skinned off the dross uh, and he reduced the fire. And now what remains is pure gold or pure silver. Uh, and now that is a tribe of people led by Moses that God knows now that he can lead. And so he's going to bring the angel and it's going to go before them and they are going to be his people. And he will be their God. And this is where Israel is now. And uh, it looks horrible from hindsight, but it is what God had to do. Why? Why did God have to do this? Wasn't there another way? No. We are sinful people. We, um, sometimes God has to turn up the heat pretty high to get our attention. Um, and, he, and he allows things to happen in our life, and it gets our attention. Uh, and it doesn't kill us. Some, I mean, that which doesn't kill us, Nietzsche was right, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. 
I, I like to think that that which doesn't kill us makes our faith stronger, right? The trials and tribulations that God puts in our life, you know, they make us stronger. As, as James says, you know, you consider it all joy whenever you have those trials as parasmos in your life because you know that God will make you stronger through those parasmos. Um, and, it, and it goes all the way back here to Exodus 32. It does. Um, let's see. Um, I guess we'll leave it there, man. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll start into Exodus 33 the next time we get together. I just, I just want to let you know, or, you know, just ponder this thought today that because of our sin, because we have fallen away, we now have original sin in our life where we're more me focused than God focused. We don't have the same relationship that we had with God when we walked in the cool of the day with him in the garden. We now have this understanding. We ate from the tree of uh, you know, good and evil. Uh, we understand, or knowledge, you know, ate from the tree of knowledge. Um, we now have the ability to understand God in a very deep sense. But now because of that, because we have that knowledge, because we... Uh, you know, took on upon human flesh more of the characteristics of God, that means that we are now self-centered and we don't have the same relationship with God. And now we have to rely on faith. And faith uh, is, you know, grows over time. And it's not perfect. Um, only person with p- perfect faith was Jesus. Everybody else, we have to struggle in this life. Um, yeah, I guess I'll leave it there. Um, so uh, join me in prayer. Gracious God, we don't always understand why you do the things that you do. But when those moments in our life come to us, cling to us and never let us go. Bring us through the fires so that when we get through, we are purified and we are people that you can use for your service. This we pray in Jesus' name.